We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with my friend and co-host... I am Robin Jones Gunn, but we have another guest today, Cheryl. We do, and it's so exciting, as we like to say here, having a living guest, like an actual person in the studio. And, you know, this is really important to me because I remember being at a retreat one time, and they said to me, like, who are your heroines in the faith? And, of course, you know, I love missionaries, and I love um, finding out these uh, women of faith from Mm -hmm. the past and just highlighting their lives. And, you know, I had people close to me that were— really amazing Christian women too. But I thought, wow, sometimes we're only honoring people that have died Mm. and we need to (laughs) honor the living while they're alive. It's like, I want to spend my money that the kids would get in as an inheritance on them now and watch them enjoy it. And I think having someone who's living in the studio is kind of like that. It's great. We, I love it too, because this woman is pretty special. Why don't you tell us about Elizabeth? Well, I think she's absolutely amazing. I've known Elizabeth Finch for, boy, it's over 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So Elizabeth Finch is our guest in studio. I am so excited. I met her and her husband and her three adorable children um, quite a long time ago. All I remember is there was this like super good looking couple at Calvary (laughs) and they were like so nice. And they were like one of those couples at our church that were... um, there all the time and stayed and we're always mm. fellowshipping mm. and a part of the church. You know how there are spectators of the yes. church? And then there are people who really are the church. Love to yeah. be there. Yeah. yeah. And Elizabeth and Matt, her husband, are the church. And mm-hmm. so that's why her story is so exciting. I had no idea knowing you all those years. And those of you who are listening, Elizabeth's beautiful. She won't say that and she'd be <laughs> upset that I did. But um I just seen her and her husband, Matt, they're such a good looking couple. But to find out that Elizabeth has such a story, because we tend to assume mm-hmm. that everyone's life but ours mm-hmm. is super easy, mm-hmm. right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> that there's no hardship. But what we found in this um, podcast, especially as we studied the women of history, is no one got off easy. <laughs> but it's like the Lord takes the hardships and that's what he builds the story with. I'm, Robin, I know you're a, a writer, and that's part of your writing, isn't it? Is yes. is if the if the main character doesn't have turmoil, there's right. no story. Without friction, there is no fiction. And in, <laughs> in nonfiction stories, it's the difficult times that allow the reader to relate. Mm-hmm. And I know our listeners are going to be able to relate to what Elizabeth has to say. Now, you said that people at retreats ask you about who your heroes of faith are. Well, I met Elizabeth at a women's retreat for Calvary a year ago. And she told me just a few weeks ago something I told her. I don't even remember Mm -hmm. that I'd said it, but Elizabeth, welcome to the studio and tell us. I'm really excited to be here and it's an honor. Um, But I, and I do want to tell the story because I thought, I thought about it when, um, when we ran across each other. So Robin was saying when I met her, somebody asked, I'm not sure if it was me, but what would you want to do in heaven? What would your job be if you could do anything? And she said, I'm going to sit on the the bank by the water and I'm going to tell the stories of the saints. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, wow, I'm so glad somebody wants that job, but I don't. You might have yeah. a co-host. <laughs> I know. No, yes, no. I'm I, so sure. I, t- I was thinking to myself, and I don't think I, I said it, but um, my 40th birthday happened this year. And my kid said, what do you want for your birthday? And in my heart, I said, Lord, I want a chariot of fire. 
And I'm going to just soar over where Robin is on the bank telling the stories. <laughs> so I saw yeah. her a couple of weeks ago and she goes, I have to tell you what I asked Jesus for for my birthday. Yes. A chariot of fire. Yes. And I could just see this like motorcycle mama yes. just streaming through that's the me. heavenly skies. Yeah. Well, heaven, so that's who we have in yeah. studio today. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. our Elizabeth. Heaven's going to be so exciting. But again, I think heaven is kind of a training ground where we get equipped. Like remember the kids in Narnia where Aslan gave them those um, weapons that they would need to rule over Narnia. Mm -hmm. And I think heaven is the place where we get trained to come back on earth and rule and reign with Jesus Christ Mm. and get fully equipped and trained. I just, Mm. I see it as a little more than um, we bargained for. Like you, you, your job might be telling stories, but mm-hmm. it might also be uh, doing the washing while you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of everything, yes. Uh, well, the author and finisher of Elizabeth Faith has been writing a beautiful story. That's we right. Just, just jump in. We want to hear about it. So start telling us where your mm. childhood and those early years began Yeah. and what God did. Well, I will start off by saying that it was in no way beautiful in the beginning. It was actually quite... Um, Difficult, traumatic, traumatic. Even. Yeah. yeah, it was a, a dark beginning, and um, there's no other way to say it than than really just by admitting. And it's I, I wish it was a different story, but this is what I have. So I actually was born homeless, and by the time that I was almost two, and my brother was um, four, our parents left, and we ended up becoming wards of the state of California. So my early years, my um, very traumatic, obviously. Anybody who's been abandoned and goes through foster care, it, it's, um, well, it's it's not something that um, you, you ever want. You never ask in heaven, I want to go down to earth and I want to be somebody who doesn't have a family, doesn't have parents. But um, do you have any recollection of your mom and dad from those early years? I mean, I you're only know. two. Yeah, I, I wouldn't but think I so. I had yeah. a lot of recollections from foster care and what that yeah. was like. And so when I was six years old, um, my brother and I, we were about to be separated and um, we were adopted into a family. Um, I'm, gr- I'm grateful for it, but it was a little bit more like a professional foster care because they had had over 100 foster care kids. So I kind mm-hmm. of felt like a number wow. growing up and um, that and, and I'm, I'm sure I was, uh, you know, unpleasant child, but I was definitely looking at when I'm 18, I'm by myself. Yeah. And that was known to me. And so yeah. that was like a pressure that was over my life was like, you're going to be 18 and what are you going to do? And I, I was so incapable of keeping a job or taking care of myself. And so really, um, I, I won't talk about it too much, but basically, you know, the, the Lord is a father. And that is what I always heard. Calvary Chapel was, you know, I would go to the Harvest Crusade, a friend would take me and I would hear he's a father. And I thought, well, if that's true, if that's really true, I need a father. Mm. And so when I really did come to him, it was right before I turned 18. And I just kind of made a deal with God. Like, I'll give you my life. You be my father. Mm. Forgive me for everything. And I will give you every day. Mm. And it was really like, I felt like I was making a vow that was, um, that I was never going to take back. And well, you know, if he would be my father and he would forgive me and, um, and that is exactly what he, that's exactly what he did. He ended up coming into my life and being a father to me. And he still is. And my husband always says, like, it's not fair, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you just have this relationship with the Lord where you see him so much as a father. And I love that. And there's a scripture and I think it's Psalm 128, but I'm not sure. 
And it says, when you're, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Psalm 27. Oh, Psalm 27. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> like, why didn't somebody tell me that when I was young? Yes. You know, I would have wanted yes. to know that I had a father in yes. heaven. Yes. Yes. Um, but I know now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. So um, what happened um, after you received Jesus? I mean, obviously, you could only stay at the foster home until you were 18. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, those were some uh, some wild years in between being, you know, coming out of the, that home and then uh, meeting my husband. Well, it was actually only two years, but um, I ended up meeting my husband pretty quickly and we, you know, got married and... Um, How old were you when you got I was married? 21. 21. Yeah. Uh, one thing I didn't realize was that I had a lot of arrested development from not really growing yeah. and just always being in a place where I needed to protect myself. So I mm. pretty much just went through my whole childhood, not learning or growing or even speaking. I never said anything. I never had a voice in any way where I would talk about how I was feeling or what I was thinking because I didn't think anybody cared. So, mm-hmm. But I was just in yeah. the survival and I didn't really wake up up and come out of that survival until I had children. And then it was like, it wasn't about survival. It was about protection and, you know, being a mother and then starting to think about what all of that meant. But the thing that would not go away after I started processing, you know, my childhood as I became a mom was, well, what happened to my mother? Why did she leave me? And always in my mind, I had this thought that she was something tragic had happened. And she, for, you know, you want to believe, and I wanted to believe that if she could have been with me, if she would have raised me, she would have. And for whatever reason, maybe there was like some drug abuse or something horrible that happened. You know, maybe it was the CIA that came and, you know, who knows, you imagine all (laughs) kinds of things when you're, when you're an orphan and you, um, you try to make sense of it. But um, I wanted to make sense of it. And I think as Christians, sometimes we, we think like, okay, everything that's behind, we just have to forget it and, you know, look all things ahead. And, and, but then there are things that haunt us that we just, we need to go and look at them. And we need to ask the Lord to, um, to help us to come to a place of truth. So I had one time just been praying and asking the Lord, help me to deal with this, help me to like look ahead and not behind and all of these things. And, but then I just really started to be honest with him. And I said, actually, I just really want to know the truth. And he said, well, I'm the God of truth. Mm-hmm. So ask me. So I, I said, okay, I want to know what happened to my mom, what happened to my, my family. And, um, well, it's a very long story, but, um, about three months later, I, was going to take a trip with my husband and we were going to go and um, realize I didn't have a passport and then realize that I didn't have a, I had a complicated um, birth certificate situation because of uh, not being born in a hospital. And so um, we went through the same thing when my mom went to get her passport. Yeah. Because my mom wasn't adopted till she was 14. Yes. And there was no place of birth. Mm-hmm. She had no place of birth. My mom died not knowing where she was born. And that's, you know, that's something that we don't realize the insecurities Mm -hmm. and the issues that something of not even knowing where you were born uh, causes. And that was with my mom. She didn't know where she was born, never knew her mom's real name. Yeah. So uh, these are, you know, I don't think anyone, uh, my daughter, my eldest daughter was taking classes on foster care 
And the lady said, nobody comes out of foster care or adoption unscathed. Mm. There is something Mm -hmm. about knowing that you were abandoned Mm -hmm. or, you know, and the reasons. But like like you, though, um, my mom used to have all these imagined scenarios about her mother. All sorts of, and you never knew. Every day there'd be like a new scenario that my mom would come up with. Like, you know, maybe she was royalty and she was hiding her pregnancy. Or maybe she was. And I remember my mom saying one time she never really went to know the truth Mm -hmm. because she was afraid the truth would be too painful. Yeah. And so it's a brave feeling as you approached it. No, I didn't. No, I I was like, I wanted the truth. I never, it never dawned on me that I wouldn't be able to like handle the truth. Mm -hmm. I thought like, of course I can. You Mm -hmm. know, the truth is better than not knowing. Right. So I was pretty brazen and um, moving forward uh, to, to find the truth. And um, I ended up calling social services about my passport, having nothing to do, not thinking about this situation at the moment, but just calling them and then um, saying, well, I'm good. I want a passport. And she said, well, yeah, I'm looking here at your file and I can see that maybe we can work this out for you. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me like, wait a minute, this person has my file. So she knows everything about me. She knows more than I do. So then I, I just put it aside and I said, you know what, actually besides the passport, what can you tell me about my life and about my mom? Wow. She said, well, I can't tell you a lot because wow. these are sealed records, but crazy I about your own oh, life, yeah, my yes. own life, your own life. Yeah. She knows more. That's yeah. crazy. And it was like, to me, like I'd come out of this black hole mm-hmm. and I, all I wanted ever was just to know what happened. Um, yeah. And it felt very unfair that she mm-hmm. was looking at yes. it and it was like, the but that's me. Yeah, I know your mother's name. Yes. I know your father's yeah. name. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know where you were born. All those, right? Yep. And so she, I asked her and she said, well, I can give you non-identifying information. You can come into my office and I'll write up a report for you. So I had done a lot of searching on my own and I had some information because I was in foster care for a good amount of time. So I didn't just, you know, there was a record and I knew what my name was, but mm-hmm. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know enough to find her. Mm-hmm. So when I went in, I sat at this table and she had this book that was like six inches full of Mm. pictures and reports and police reports and conversations and evaluations of me. But I wasn't allowed to touch it. She said, you can't touch it. It was torture. It was. I was just like, it was surreal. I couldn't believe it because everything I ever wanted to know was sitting on the table and it was in her possession. And one thing you don't realize is when you go through foster care, the ward of the state, they they still are your authority. They mm. still guard that and they guard those records. So um, she gave me some non-identifying information and um, it was like the first names of people who were, you know, my, my mother's first name, her sister's first name. And, but you know, what are you going to do with first names? It's not that, you know, yeah. Concrete, it's not that yeah. much to work with. So, yeah. but then as I was walking out, um, I don't know, she just had mercy and she goes, well, I'll tell you something. Your mother's maiden name starts with a PH and it's a funny name. And I oh. was like, I don't know okay. if that's even a mercy yeah, or a tease. I know. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking, well, what am I supposed to do with PH and yeah. funny sounds? And so, um, I, I, I left and I went home and there was, um, so there was a ser- people who are search angels. They, they have accesses to databases. And I actually had one that I had talked to before and not really gotten anywhere. So I wrote him right away and I said, Hey, here's some more information. And here's this pH thing that I was told. And mm-hmm. 
put it in an email and I woke up the next day and he goes, I found your mom. She's on Facebook. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I'm like, oh my gosh, do I get on the Facebook and I go to look at her? And of course, my whole life I've been looking for a woman that looks like me. Right. Brown hair, brown you know, eyes. Looking, right. looking for this woman who has my face because I've never, I have really like strong somewhat you know striking features yes yeah yes. it's I, beautiful striking features. thank you yes yeah but big brown eyes yeah if people, <laughs> we could go on yes you know, we could go on because bones. everybody yes. tells me that i look like cheryl's daughter i love that yes everybody says <laughs> i love that Great. so um he said she's on facebook so i opened it up and i looked at her and i was looking into the eyes of my mother for the first time and my eyes fell on this woman who looked nothing like me and I, I said, no, this is definitely not her. There's mm-hmm. no resemblance. It's just he's a little bit confused. Is she petite? Was she, she petite? Is, she is my height. Okay, there we go. The, the yes. Height. Yes. We'll start with that. Yes. <laughs> but she was fair and she, you know, I just, I couldn't, I thought I wouldn't look into the eyes of my mother for the first time and I would see a person that looked back at me, mm-hmm. but I didn't. And so I, I was about to just dismiss it and think that he was wrong. But I looked at her friend list and it said um, that she had a sister that was the same name as the sister that I was given. So her the, the names of the sisters were these Italian names, like Nina and Conchetta. And so I thought, well, that's a little bit coincidental, but still could be, you know, mm-hmm. didn't seem to me. And then all of a sudden I saw that her father was listed John Fliffenstoffer, the mm-hmm. PH. Oh, there you go. And and I was like, well, that's a funny must name. Be. Yeah. yeah. Must be <laughs> because is. that's funny. And that's, wow. and so. Wow. But then I thought, well, I'll just write to her. And if she, if I am her daughter, she'll know. She'll remember mm-hmm. that she had one and, mm-hmm. you know, um, she'll know better than I do. So I wrote to her and I just basically said, this is my name. This is when I was born. Do you know who I am? Oh, wow. And then she wrote back right away and was like, yeah, you're, I think you're my daughter. And is this your brother? And is this the person who adopted you? And I was sh- shocked because I realized that she knew everything. Wow. And I thought that I was lost. Mm-hmm. 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 So, um yeah, that was, that was, it was, um, well, I honestly, I think that I was like completely in shock and it mm-hmm. took me a really long time to process that, um, and come to a place where I could accept that the person who I thought that would have wanted to be with me and take care of me was very, um, just dismissive and didn't well, even that she was still alive because there had to be some scenario where you're thinking she just couldn't care for us because she was so ill or in, in prison or all that. Yeah. It's and like have, probably still not alive. Did you ever read the book by Lee Zell? I think yes, it was called yes. The Cinderella Syndrome. Yes. And that was where she found her daughter. Her daughter found her and she couldn't. She was so elated and they had this great friendship. So you have these scenarios that you hope for. I had absolutely hoped for that. And honestly, throughout my childhood, I've never had a bad thought towards her. Yeah. I always thought there must be a really good mm-hmm. reason. I was held on to. I know that somebody loves me and I'm sure that it's her. Mm, yeah. Um, but what I realized was, um, no, <laughs> it just wasn't true. I wanted it to be true. But the truth was, was that. She had moved on, had had other children, had gotten married, lived her life, really did know enough to know how to reach out to me and, and just decided that she did, that she would, in her words, she was waiting for me to come back to her. But it all just felt so, um, it was just devastating. Mm-hmm. Really. It just breaks mm-hmm. my heart to yeah. hear, doesn't it, Cheryl? Just it does. For yeah. that to be uh, the possibility. But I mean, I know God worked through it all in such mm-hmm. unique ways, but the point in your life the amount of 
dependence that you needed to have on the Lord at that point to go really go back to Him yeah. as your Father and have that sense of identity in Him. I guess that's it that keeps coming through is I know who I am because I belong to Christ. Yeah, not it's not in that file. Of, yes. It's, yeah. in, it's yes. in Jesus. That's who I'm in Jesus. That's my identity. Elizabeth, but you actually met her too, right? I did. Yeah, I met her. And um, I think what, where I really struggled and what I, what I will share is that the more that I engaged and talked to her, the more that I would really started having these overwhelming feelings of like anger and because I knew what I had suffered and I know mm-hmm. what ha- I am the life that I had had and being in foster care and just the loss, the great loss that I had born because of mm-hmm. her choosing her, her herself and, mm-hmm. and going um, to live a life that was more comfortable for her. So, but she just wouldn't acknowledge or she would just would not um, admit that she had any part in it. And it was all, you know, just, well, you wanted a mom that would have fought for you. Exactly. Oh, yes. And that would have, exactly. because you'd fight for your children. Exactly. I so you, and that's, I that's a it. natural uh, mother, um, we call it the mother bear syndrome, yeah. where you want to mm. fight for your children and you'll fight to yeah. to have custody and to stay with them and why she didn't fight. Yeah. And I think all of that, but you know, Elizabeth, too, for those who are listening, who have been through similar scenarios, I think it's so important to say you're a Christian, you know God is your father, but you still have to process. And I love that the Lord allows us to sit with your father and process. And anger is part of the process. You're so right. I mean, like if I would have not processed, I probably would be looking at some severe depression oh, and anxiety because yeah. it would all yeah. been so suppressed. Yeah. And so that that's a really good or, point. Or big um, anger issues. With huge. Else and is. actually, one of, one of the things that happened was that as I was trying to process it, um, I was trying to do it in a way that still made me feel like I was a you know, good Christian. Like I wasn't, yeah. I didn't hate, you know, I was just, I had feelings of resentment. But one day when I was praying and I just blurted out, I hate her yeah. to God. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I was afraid, like, I'm telling God I hate my mother, you know, I'm being as cl- if he didn't read your as heart, if, right? Yeah, <laughs> as if he didn't, he didn't know. Right. But I would always try to shield it when I would pray like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm just struggling or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I just realized, you know what, God, I just need to be honest because, you know, my heart, I hate her. I mm-hmm. hate that she is not sorry. I hate mm-hmm. that she didn't come. I hate that she didn't protect me. I hate mm-hmm. that, that she won't recognize what the loss that I had. Mm-hmm. And um, no feelings at all. Yeah. Towards anyone else yeah like you know it's like i saw a woman in a t-shirt one time that said it's all about me and you think that is kind of the philosophy of the age yeah you know everyone for yourself it's all about me you know but having god as your father probably uh, protected you from such a trajectory yeah because a lot of people believe it or not who go into foster care come out as narcissists because they've learned to protect themselves and they've made it all about mm-hmm. themselves. So for you to already have mm-hmm. that kind of, so to say, in the bloodline, yeah, and then to have it through the circumstances, and yet I know you and you are so far from being a narcissist because of the intervention of God as your father. Well, 
I, I have a favorite word and I made it up. And so I might as well just share it while we're Please. talking about it. My favorite word is farcism. Yeah. Does it start with a PH? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can make it up. We can make it start it with a PH. Yes, but just like your farcism, name. Yes. Just keep your thoughts far from yourself. Look mm. away. Look to Jesus. Look oh, that's to good. Look at others. Because when I look at myself, oh, that's so good. I yes. can't go on. Yeah. And then I'm just completely. Well, trapped. and you start to just sink. Yes. You feel like you're drowning because yeah. there's no way to get through it all. Yeah. And the the process of forgiveness is mm-hmm. such a huge factor in a, being a believer yeah. and knowing. I need to get to where I can forgive her. Truly. But the processing to even be able to face that yeah. must have been and, huge. And self-pity is really, I mean, we we joke about self-pity, but self-pity is big. I mean, it's, I've struggled with self-pity like all my life being the youngest child. And self-pity is big. And that's a hard one. To, it's not to just get the on. youngest child. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, pretty much if I were to say, what's your biggest problem, thing you struggle with most? It's self-pity. I have to All get it so far away from me. Yeah. Do not feel sorry for yourself, Elizabeth. Do not. Oh, yeah. And I, I can go there uh, zero to ten. And, and isn't that issue? We never comes, talk about that. Yeah. Like that just seems yeah. like it's so wicked. Like, oh, no, no, no. But it's true. Yeah. And for you to be in the situation you were in and to recognize how am I going to get beyond? Mm-hmm. But I wanted to do it in an authentic way. I, did, mm-hmm. I really wanted to know when I stand before the Lord that I didn't carry this hate with me into eternity. And I didn't know how to process it because... Now, is the process, was it worse after you met your mother or before? By far, but afterwards. Okay. Wow. Because I was yeah. looking at it for what it really was. Yeah. Not yeah. just what I imagined yeah. that it was. Mm-hmm. But um, so... I was just coming to the Lord and being really honest with him. And I think that we don't realize how able and capable he is of our honest feelings. Mm-hmm. We don't have to mm-hmm. come with religious, you know, knows. coverings. <laughs> yes, to, yeah, he yes. knows. And he knew I was, how I was feeling. And he had, I know that he had mercy on me. So when I, I told him, I said, you know, God, I just feel like, like my life meant nothing like mm-hmm. I just feel like it was trampled on like, mm-hmm. like I was just a, you know a cat you know that you could just throw away because I forgot to tell you that for cat lovers ignore that statement yeah, I do have, have a cat but you would but she t- and the reason why I say that right she told me when I very first met her she told me her story and as she was telling the story she said um you know blah 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 and then I got pregnant and I wanted to keep the baby because I wanted I wanted to replace Catherine Da, 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 da. My my real name is Catherine, mm-hmm. and she was talking about me, and I couldn't believe that my mother said that she was replacing me mm-hmm. with a different child after she got married again. I, yes, her. I just couldn't believe wow. like I'm replaceable. I'm, you could I'm I'm a human being. Mm. I'm irreplaceable. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm your daughter. You just mm-hmm. you can't replace me. I, mm-hmm. But for, to hear here. those words mm-hmm. yeah, were really hard for me to bear. So mm-hmm. when I was bringing this to the Lord. And saying, I just feel like my life meant nothing, everything mm-hmm. I went through. And then he did what he always does. When he helps me to deal with self-pity is he turns it away from me and, and makes me look at him. And he said, that's what you do to me mm. when you don't think that my blood, mm. when it's trampled on, when you mm. just think, oh, well, there's forgiveness and all's mm. well that ends well. Because that's how she was treating me. All's well. Look, mm-hmm. you're okay. You're fine. Look, mm-hmm. you're doing good. It's like, well, mm. at what cost? Mm-hmm. And then wow. I wasn't considering the wow. cost at that time yeah. of my salvation. It was mm-hmm. very like flippant and mm-hmm. dismissive. So these same attitudes that I was having towards God, he wanted me to see, you have that attitude towards me and I'm merciful to you. Mm-hmm. But I needed to, I 
I needed to see myself as, you know, this, the, the Bible says, you know, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. We need to know that we're, we're guilty at least of doing it to God. And so that helped me, first of all, to recognize the cost of, of my salvation. And then secondly, um, I still needed to forgive her. Mm-hmm. And those feelings did not just go away because I understood what I had done wrong. I still had really deep feelings. And where do you put... Like, how do you forgive somebody who's not sorry and refuses right. to be sorry? Um, because because they're not safe. Yeah. Because they're not safe. That's part of it. It's not like there's, there's no any restoration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There can be no restoration. There can be like, I cancel your debt, but we're not going to be friends. Yeah. And that's a hard, hard thing. Yes. So, and, th- and that's basically what, um, how I came to, to, um, really truly having forgiveness was saying to myself, she owes me nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she doesn't, the, how did you come to that? Well, so the, I, at the time I had, I was trying to, I was kind of asking everybody like, you know, like, what do I do? How do I, and I got a lot of bad advice to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, the pe- I will say the people who love you most oftentimes give you really bad advice because they want to protect you and they're offended right. that, you know, and they're like, yeah. you know, be mad and, and go and tell her and, and someone said, you know, um, I was actually fasting one day because I just really needed an answer. And she came across my path and she said, I was just thinking about you. And this is what the Lord is saying to me to tell you. Mm. Go and write down everything mm. that you have against her. Every birthday, every sadness, every, you know, um, everything that you're hurting. She said, I don't care if it takes you 18 pages. You write it down and then you give it to her. And then when she can, re- oh. she can acknowledge what she oh. did. Oh, oh. When she can acknowledge what she did, then you can forgive her. So I was like, great. Okay, this is, I had a lot to say. You Mm -hmm. know, let me get my pen Mm -hmm. and paper. I have so many things that I would want to say that I'm hurt for and that I've lost Mm -hmm. and that I have against you. And and as right as I went to go sit down and do it, the Lord said, do the opposite. Mm. Because I don't do that. Mm-hmm. I don't hold those things mm-hmm. against you. Mm. That list Mm. of Yes. You're Mm. just going to let it, you're going to release it. Wow. And, um, that actually really helped to set me free because I realized that how I'd been forgiven, he wanted me to do the same thing. So I had to actually go through opposite and say, I release you from this. Oh, that's excellent. I release you from not being yeah. there or not loving yeah. me or not being yeah. sorry. Or this is really actually not what happened in the past that I was heard about. It was how she was acting, having met me and right. having saying that she replaced me. And those were the actions that I was the most hurt for. So just going through and releasing her and then, Again and again and again, every day that it would come up, I would just go back to, it's, I let go of it. And you know what? Because when you bring someone else's debt, you, you have to also know your debt is also there to see if you go into court, you know, yeah. better to make peace outside of court. <laughs> exactly. You know, um, I'm thinking too, Elizabeth, if you had not forgiven, your life could not have continued. And we're, we're done for this first half. Yes. And so we're going to be moving into the second half. But I think that dealing with forgiveness and all of this is so important because I think there are a lot of people who are listening who are stagnated. Mm-hmm. And because they haven't been able to forgive, their life's on hold, yes. on pause. Yes. And yes. once you do what you did, like the mm-hmm. releasing, I mean, I, it's fantastic because God, your father, was yeah. telling you everything and giving you the instructions to yes. do. Then your life could continue. Yeah. And 
But you know what? I would just say that you, it starts with being honest. Yes. With yourself and God. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And as you said, that pro- it is a process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to get to that point where, as Jesus on the cross said, Father, you forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. When you can look at this debt that someone owes you, this great loss to your life, and you can say, it's not to me to get the strength to go, okay, I forgive you. It's okay. But rather, Father, <laughs> you forgive them. And she didn't know what she was me. doing. Right. Yes, yes. And yeah. then you're in that process with yeah. the Father of receiving His forgiveness for you, and at the same time, like letting that debt mm-hmm. be canceled by Him. Mm-hmm. But to do that is just such a process and takes yeah. a woman who rides a chariot of fire. Yes, we're going to have exactly. to stop. Yes, and we'll yes. continue this in part two. So we want our listeners to come back, and um, I hope you're. Uh, getting the lesson of forgiveness, but this is this is part one, and we're going to sign off, and we'll hear you again at part two. Can't wait. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones-Gunn.